So Mark Zuckerberg and Pete Buttigieg were in a car, and I imagine that they're saying stuff like, hey, do you remember the time you had an emotion? And they're like, yeah, that sucked. And they're like, yes, I agree. And then they stare directly ahead in silence for the next four hours. <laughs> That's how I imagine that went. Just dead silence uh, on their standby mode, just staring straight ahead, thinking about absolutely nothing. I don't know. You don't think they had like they had like a giggle about just like hashtag rich kid problems and they kind of like commiserated on how hard it is that all these plebes like think that their smiles are not real. And as as they practice their smiles to each other. Right. Right. It's it's still really bizarre to me that like a lot of big money is like long on Buttigieg. Yeah. I find that totally bizarre. Yeah. I don't. There's a real hunger for him. From someone. Yeah, from like 30 people. <laughs> Not a real person I've ever met, but... <laughs> I think it's a lot of uh, rich liberals like smashing this button that used to always work. They're like, it's always worked for Obama. And they're just like, you keep smashing the button. And they're like, I get the thing. You know, it's, you know, it's, and it's, they're just angry hamsters that keep tapping the, the lever and the treat doesn't come out. And they're like, why, why isn't this working? Why are people, why do people still love Bernie? And like, they're not happy about it. Yeah. Poor things. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to make their, their uh, flesh real gamey for when we eat them. But I'll take it. <laughs> I like gamey. Yeah. You People know. say it like it's a bad thing, but I think there's something to be said for the gaminess of, you know, like venison or. Yeah. Well, some venison is, is more gamey than others. But like, I don't know. Have you ever uh, had like really good venison? Uh, well, I don't know. Oh, I don't, I don't know, know like, if it was good or not. I don't know. I had, I had uh, a couple of burritos that, or tacos that uh, had some venison meat in it, and it was r- cooked very well uh, and tasted delicious. Yeah. I would eat that. Yeah. yeah that oh, I'm hungry, well. y'all. Fuck. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> I have what eaten, have like, done? nothing today. <laughs> oh, Those no. deer look delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So when we last left the anti-rent wars, the tensions between the tenants and law enforcement had ceased, and Governor Seward had promised to bring the tenants' complaints before the legislature. Governor Seward was the first Whig governor of New York, and he was a proponent of doing lots of internal improvements throughout the state, building railroads and canals. And he took up the tenants' plight He for it seems to be sincere that he really did care about their um, their rights and their oppression. And the tenant system was despised by pretty much everybody. It was, it was public, public sentiment regarding a manorial system was, was very much negative, but because this lease and fee contract system was such a serious challenge for legislators, even though everybody hated it, it was very difficult to get rid of specifically because of the contract clause in the constitution which bars states from interfering in private contracts. So legislating away the future of this feudal manor system was easy. Everybody hated it, and New York was able to pass lots of laws to make sure that it couldn't continue into the future. But for the existing leases, it was very difficult to get rid of them. So they've they've, they've essentially stopped uh, this from spreading, but now they can't get rid of what's what's already there. Right. And so we'll get to that when we talk a little bit about the constitutional convention, um, in 46. I know. Very exciting guys. (laughs) Um, How likely is it that like Joe blow in Montana or um, is, does Montana exist yet? I don't know. Like, uh, like like, like California or whatever. Like, do do they know that this is happening? Is this like in national news? No, but people in New York city know that it's happening. Right. So yeah, which is that's pretty much all that matters. Yeah. So there were a couple of different modes of legal redress that the that that the anti-renters were looking at. The first was eminent domain, which was really the most promising. And so this would be just basically for a fair appraisal, you know, the government seizes lands for the quote public good or for public use. And actually the distinction between those two things like becomes really important for why they do or do not pursue eminent domain. But at the time, you know, the government is seizing lands for all kind for canals, for railroads, for all kinds of public works. And so this seemed like a like a possible route for the anti renters to just basically the state would buy up these manors 
and then sell them to the to the tenants already living there. Um, the problem with this was that it was going to be incredibly expensive. Rensselaer Wick alone was estimated to be over uh, over a million dollars. Yeah, it'd be like if the U.S. government had to bail out Bezos. Yeah, it would be. It, it would be or like, actually probably less. It would be like the New York State government had to bail out. Right. Bail yeah. Out Bezos, yeah. Yeah. It would be you, far and away the most ambitious and expensive eminent domain project that America had ever endeavored at that huh. point in its history. Um, and that was only for Rensselaer Wick, which was only one third of the mineral system. So Jesus. now you're talking about, you know, $3 million in the 1840s, like not going to happen. The other was, uh, this title test. And this was something that the Rensselaer anti-renters especially were like obsessed with, which was the idea that if you could prove that the titles that these landlords, uh, held were somehow false, then, you know, that would be kind of like a magic wand that would just erase all the contracts because they were all entered into under false pretense. Yeah, sort of like how the theft of the land that these colonizers were occupying was, in fact, illegitimate. So it therefore made irrelevant all private property claims because they all dated back to that, right? Right. And then everything was fine forever. Exactly. Just dissolved the United States. Oh, guys, we all screwed up. Everyone screwed up. Okay, re- redo, redo. So part of the reason that the Rensselaer uh, tenants thought were so, like, gung-ho for the title test was because Killian Rensselaer, who was the first... Killian Van Rensselaer, who was the first lord of this manor, um, ha- there were, like, four other Killians, and so... All in the same dark metal band. <laughs> Killians. So who the title passed to was uh, somewhat like unclear and it was a little bit, you know, you got all these Killians running around. And so their whole claim basically rested on the idea that like the wrong son of the wrong Killian got this title at some point and then they could just, you know, and then just overnight all their contracts would be null and void. Um, oh, so they were going to try and weaponize history. Yes. Yeah. But... The Supreme Court, both the federal Supreme Court and I think the New York State Supreme Court, like many times ruled that these title tests were not like legal because it was basically like if if we allow you to do that, then like private property can't exist anymore because none of these witnesses that signed these, you know, 200 year old documents are around. And so it basically just would have like opened up a can of worms that, you know, would abolish private property. So real bummer they didn't do it. (laughs) Um, another one was just taxing rent income. And so the idea behind this was that, so like I said last time, the tenants were responsible for paying all the taxes and all the fees and blah, blah, blah. But legislators thought that if you could tax the income that the landlords were receiving through rents, then eventually you would just kind of whittle away at the whole system because they would get sick of paying all these taxes and blah, blah, blah. And they would, uh, sell out their claims for better terms to their tenants. Mm, so it was sort of an incrementalist approach. Right. That and then also, and the last one was ending distress sales. And so this would basically be if you owe all your rent, uh, the sheriff comes in and he takes all your shit, all your cattle and your grain and your chairs and everything, and they put them out on the side of the road and then they have an auction. And so uh, the the legislature did actually end up banning these distress sales. Wow. Yeah. Which was which is good, right? Yeah. Um, except it, now, no way anybody uh, sold all their stuff for for replacement value, right? Um, well, they didn't get they didn't get the sale. Yeah, yeah. yeah all the yeah. sale went straight to the landlord. Oh, so. fair enough. But e- but even still, it would be even more unjust because the amount of harm that would be done directly to the 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 tenant uh, would be like way disproportionate to the actual value. Like yeah. Because they just I sell it. I imagine. In response, would they then be completely out of debt? Uh, it probably depends on the situation, like how much stuff they had and how much they owed. Um, but once you get to distress sale level, like it doesn't matter if they have debt anymore, like they now have nothing. So they're basically just like a landless, you know, they're probably going to go out west is what most people in that situation would have Were been. Were any like white colonists like made slaves by debt in this way? Like, you know, not indentured servants from, you know, like the, the, the trip over or something like that for in room and board for whatever period to get on one's feet. But like made, like, 
you have negative assets like get in the you know the fields and like you know like we're made into chattel well that... they had actually just outlawed uh that that's what a debtor's prison would have been right yeah. where you were um into forced labor you were because... forced into labor and so that had just been outlawed i think maybe only a decade earlier before ah, all of this starts I popping see. off yeah so so they did end up ending distress sales through legislation but uh, because of an amendment to the bill that was passed, what it actually did was make it easier for the landlords to just uh, kick tenants off their property wholesale. So they couldn't sell their shit, but they could evict them much more easily. So, And you're going to see this time and again with the rent war is that the tenants relied on these, you know, political representatives to do their bidding and to advocate for their best interests in the state legislature and they just fuck them over and over and over again. And it eventually, you know, results in kind of like the, the, the dissolving of the anti-rent war movement. And is it clear whether or not the getting fucked over is intentional on the part of the legislators or the legislators just not good at solving problems? Uh, I think it's a little bit of, sometimes it's just neglect. Um, A lot of, a lot of this is just, uh, you know, politicians trying to get votes and saying what they think needs to be said to the right people to get them to vote for them. And then, you know, in some instances, I think that they they knew that the promises they were making weren't realistic. They knew that they were promising tenants things that they couldn't get passed legislatively. And in other instances, you know, maybe it was less manipulative and more just like lack of will. So go- going to their electeds isn't really yielding anything productive, if anything, they seem to either through incompetence or uh, malice actually make it easier to get evicted. Right. Yeah. This 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 one particular piece of legislation that came later in the forties actually did end up um, making it easier to evict tenants. So there there some of these like they just have unintended consequences as well, which we can talk about a little bit. But so the initial uh, anti rent war breaks out in eighteen thirty nine. Seward promises I will bring your concerns for the legislature, and he does and they kind of like just get nothing done. They pre- present bills before, before the, um, the house and some of them pass and some of them fail. Some of them go to the Senate where they fail, but really like very little gets accomplished. And then in March of 1841, um, Stephen Van Rensselaer begins delivering writs again to his tenants, uh, writs of, and this is before distress sales have been outlawed. So basically just sheriffs showing up saying, all right, we're coming for your shit. And this sets off the conflict all over again. That the next month, um, tenants organize and burn and write a new manifesto that are claiming basically that the that claims that the manorial system is violating their constitutional rights. And this is actually when a lot of their rhetoric starts to revolve around like rights. And what does it mean to be free? And what does it mean to be like a like a citizen? Mm. You know, based on our constitutional rights. Who's going to these uh, distress sales? Are these like other people that are equally distressed or are they already in such solidarity that like it's only like the moneyed classes that shows up to like buy all these like country folks like tools? Yeah, typically it would be city folks. Like so you would uh, any distress sale had to be posted in Albany five days prior to the sale. And then you would have, you know, it's, it's not like poor people buying yeah, was it like distress stuff. sale, distress sale? <laughs> Come exploit the opportunity presented. <laughs> it's a fire sale. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so it's just like it's like a, a middle class asshole insurance salesman from Troy, like go, taking a yeah, it's like, yeah. Ooh, that heirloom, a, uh, take a horse out to the country, gotta go. Yeah, that heirloom well, you know, uh, kitchen table will look lovely in my, <laughs> my second veranda. Well, so some of the more valuable stuff that they're selling would be like tools, like farm equipment, uh-huh. uh, cattle, any kind of like livestock. Yeah, anything they that they could actually use like for, you know, to, to, to be able to be less distressed. Right. I just, but I then think you would also cruel. have like other tenants coming, yeah. right? And so this actually ends up being a really important tactic that the anti-renters use is um, when they start dressing up like Indians, which... Um, we'll get to in a minute, but they would all dress up like Indians and go to these distress sales and they would either like everybody would be bidding each other up so that the auction would just never end. And people would be bidding like, you know, $782 on a cow 
Um, or they would they would steal all the shit out of the person's house before the sale could be started and they would hide it and then they would bring it back later. Um, so fucking with these distress sales was like a pretty important tactic of the anti-renters. Nice. So in September of 1841, there was an ambush of Deputy Sheriff Bill Snyder near Rensselaerville. And this was uh, the Van Rensselaer's last attempt to deliver writs for three years. But it actually sparked this, um, the ambush of Bill Snyder. That sounds like a great song. It is. Are you joking right now? No. It is a song. Oh, okay. And it became the most popular, uh, the the end of Bill Snyder, it was called. And it became the most popular anti-rent war song that was sung from like, you know, Rensselaerville all the way down into like Delaware County. Everybody was singing the song. Do do we have a a rendition we can put in? I, I don't, I can't find any like musical versions of it, but I have the lyrics. Remix. So the lyrics to um, the end of Bill Snyder go, the moon was shining silver bright. The sheriff came in the dead of night. High on a hill sat an Indian true and on his horn, this blast he blew Keep out of the way, Big Bill Snyder. We'll tar your coat and feather your hide, sir. The Indians gathered at the sound. Bill cocked his pistol, looked around. Their painted faces by the moon. He saw and heard that same old tune. And it's the refrain again. Uh, Legs, do your duty now, says Bill. There's a thousand Indians on the hill. When they catch Tories, they tar their coats and feather their hides, and I hear the notes. He ran and he ran till he reached the wood, and there with horror still he stood, for he saw a savage, tall and grim, and he heard a horn, not a rod from him. <laughs> and he had thought he heard the sound of a gun, and he cried in his fright, Oh, my race is run! Better it had been, had I never been born, than to come within the sound of that tin horn. And then the refrain again. Um, and it goes on and on like that. It's really like a very cutesy, kind of like somewhat disturbing tale of them torturing this man for two days in the woods wow <laughs> um yeah it should, it should be like a public enemy song people thought that they, he'd been murdered because he was missing for two days um and then he finally came out he they found his like crumpled hat and they found all his writs like his they could this, his paperwork um and then he finally came out of the woods and he was just like looking real fucking rough and so thus was born the folk song the end of bill snyder but so this, the, like, the Indian thing is interesting to me because, so, like, the way that the, the anti-renters organized, they basically organized along two fronts. And the first was by these very formal associations. And that was mostly, like, the older, uh, wealthier, like, middling to wealthier tenants would, you know, form these associations where they would raise money for, like, legal counsel they would, you know, agitate. They would go to other manors. They would try to get other people to form their own associations. And then you had the Indians. And the Indians tended to be, like, younger men, less wealthy. A lot of them were actually landless. They were maybe, like, living in their father's household, waiting to inherit land from somebody else. Living in the basement, playing stick and hoop. Stick something. and hoop, yes. And they're like the black block. Like, they're the ones who just, like, fuck stuff up, and they're all in disguise so they can get away with anything, you know, without being identified. Yeah, through the power of cultural appropriation. So, and part of it was actually, like, very explicitly um, cultural appropriation because they were trying to harness this sort of, like, spirit of rebellion in opposition to, you know, this oppressive state. Yeah, like, yeah, you know how you guys justifiably fight us when we do something fucked up to y'all? We love that. <laughs> and we, More of that, please. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to borrow some of that energy for this situation because, you know, it, yeah. You're totally justified in fucking scalping our whole town. There was a, uh, in one of the instances when they were talking about the title test uh, stuff, I think it was like some speaker at a public event was saying, well, you know, if the Van Rensselaers don't own the land, then I suppose it'll be the Indians that we owe our rent to. And then now at that event, you have all of these white guys dressed up as Indians. Um hooping and hollering but they were very entertaining like people really but but just to be clear there was no never an actual intention by any of these people to like cede land to the actual natives right no, like, no, yeah okay All no. right. just just making sure like because because i could understand like a certain point they'd be like 
you know, yeah, like I think the natives are right. <laughs> they, they like follow their own logic to its, yeah. lo- to its conclusion. You're like, oh, damn it. Oh, uh, no one can own land. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but so these... So these Indians, they were they were secret societies, basically. They were organized at neighborhood levels and then coordinated upward through townships and villages and all across the counties by chiefs. And everybody had their Indian persona. And their pale-face identities were kept secret to all non-Indians. And they swore an oath to support the constitution of the Anti-Rent Association and stand by each other as long as life lasts and to never reveal their secrets. All right, well, that part's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, and the tribes were independent and self-governing, and so they, they really, like, they accomplished a lot. They how, were, many, how many people do you think were involved in these uh, tribes? It was usually around a dozen or so like per, per Indian tribe, but when how, they had, like, a big action, I mean, there were times when you would have, like, hundreds of Indians, you know, attacking a distressed sale, sale, sale or going after a sheriff delivering writs. Nice. Yeah. So you got the hardcore group that's actually organizing, like planning and do and you know prepping, and then a whole bunch of people that are like, yeah, I'll show up. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would just love to be one of the people that are like constantly bidding up things. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that'd be your, like, your involvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're just like you know, a uh, uh, chair, two cents, and I'm like five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like uh five fifty or like seven dollars forty five dollars it was like that's how much the house costs they still have these types of sales right like they have foreclosure sales if Um, and they have and there are actions that still happen or like you uh uh block uh the entrance and exit of like homes uh, to uh, do anti-eviction actions like that that definitely happens yeah. nothing yeah. on the auction list is uh inhabited right like in in troy mm. i don't know i don't know I, i'm pretty sure they're all uninhabited i think they're like zombie properties that like nobody's even squatting in like nobody lives in like they haven't made payments to whatever bank and then the bank eventually is just like yeah we don't want to deal with this and or the cost of it demo- demolishing it or anything yeah, I, th- I think all the the foreclosures, um, or no, sorry, uh, uh, all the the city auctions for property uh, are after banks have like done foreclosure sales okay. and stuff like that. And, sorry, and yeah, that didn't work or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think they're I think they're vacant. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so after the ambush of uh, Bill Snyder, that was the last attempt by any sheriff to de- to deliver writs on the Van Rensselaer estate for three years. Meanwhile, the state legislators are still trying to do shit, but they're not really getting anything accomplished. Nothing like super meaningful is getting passed. And so the anti-renters are still rent striking. They're still not paying. And then in 1844, you have this really dramatic summer of agitation when uh, tribes of anti-renters dressed as Indians, along with speakers and lecturers, went to all of the other counties to teach tenants on other manners how to organize, how to resist rents and distress sales, how to raise funds for lawyers, and of course, how to sing the end of Bill Snyder. And so by the beginning of 1845, there were anti-rent associations in 11 counties. So now the movement is really, this is pretty much at its like apex. This is as like big and energetic and fervent as it gets. I'm just struck by how uh, modern all of this sounds like this because all of these tactics sound like things that I have participated in and done and no amount of internet like really changes any of that. Like the only thing that the internet does is let you do it maybe a little bit faster, but it, it I, I think it, it doesn't, I don't even know if it really does make it go faster to be honest, because you just have to remind people more often because everyone is as, the speed of the communication goes up, then like everyone's attention is that much more divided. So it really just seems like it happens almost at the same pace. Yeah. Uh, with the, um, uh, I, I just think that that's, that's like so fascinating that, that, well, also- ha- that like it, it pretty much makes you think that like there is one way to get any of this shit done. And it is that. Yeah. And if you would, well, I think one like significant difference though, for this time and where we live now is that like if you live on these manors if you're a tenant or you live kind of in tenant country you like live breathe eat sleep anti-rent it's everywhere there's posters everywhere there's 
Indians running around, like doing their snake dances. There's, uh, if you go to the tavern, people are talking about it. Like it is just such a part of daily life for these people for almost a decade. It's like the Joker on Twitter. It's like Joker on Twitter. It's like Joker on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just, everyone's talking about it. You go see it just because, uh, because you want to understand the memes. Have you seen it by the way? Yes. What did you think? I liked it. Cool. Yeah, we both we both liked it. Yeah, yeah. That's it, it, it's it's my hot take. Is it was a good movie. Yeah. And, you know, like that, that, that's, very hot. Very yeah, hot. Like that's, uh, kinda, that's really kind of beats it. you over the head with the class, the class warfare angle, um, which I'm fine with. Walking Phoenix is incredible. I would like the whole movie is just watching him be interesting on camera. So the movie is really just like one long con to get people to be interested in interpretive dance. the whole movie is like it's like 20 percent interpretive dance like that's like the whole movie and and you know what i i would not be someone that would seek that out uh but i liked it so they got me it worked but now just as anti-rent was reaching its biggest and most powerful and most energetic stage yet in december of 1844 there are two deaths back to back one was a, a teenage boy who was killed by a stray bullet at an event and then the next day um, some men who were hauling timber off of a lot that they had bought from Van Rensselaer were shot by a stray bullet when they were attacked by anti-renters. Ah. Yeah. So if if there's stray bullets, that means that obviously people are shooting but not intention, intending to hit anyone. So are they just like trying to make a bunch of noise and like shooting into, into the air and stuff? Right. Yeah, okay. And so that, that was another thing I didn't mention about the Indians, but... Um, they were part of taking up the Indian mantle was as disguise, but also to seem more menacing. And just one of the sillier things about this, and I'll I'll pub, I'll put the photo of it on our Instagram account. But they would uh, be like comically overarmed, where they would have like ah uh, yes, an American tradition, <laughs> right? So they would have like um, swords and like axes and hammers, and one is uh, described as having a very intimidating cheese knife. And so they would have like all of these knives and weapons hanging off of their belts, and then they would also have pistols. That's so cool. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's so cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it also means that like there's got to be like times where you're like, man, I I need a new saber. You know, like, I've been using the same twelve swords and knives <laughs> every time, and you know I want to change it up. And like maybe they're trading each other between each other. Like Pokemon. You know, yeah, like Pokemon's. You know, just like having a good old time. With all the different weapons that they'll that they'll hang off of their body. <laughs> <laughs> so you have these two deaths in uh, at the end of uh, forty four, and then you have a third death in uh, August of eighteen forty five when a sheriff was killed at a distress sale, and there was um, the bidding what? got too hot, and he just died. <sighs> so actually, what happened was uh, usually what would happen at these distress sales is when all the Indians would show up, the sheriff would back off. But uh, this guy didn't. And he tough was... Guy, sure. He's a tough guy. Yeah. And so he was having them corral the cattle out. And uh, the anti-renters were shooting at the cattle. And they killed the cattle. Oh, geez. And they also killed the sheriff on accident. On accident? On accident. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought it'd be something... Hypothetically, like they killed the sheriff. <laughs> Uh, I thought it'd be a thing where like they bid so fast that he like suffocated from doing he the just fainted. He doing like, the auction thing like, too fast. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's like three twenty-five to go to three twenty-five to four twenty-five to seven twenty-five to the cow. And you want this cow, and then uh, and then, but then they could just like keep uh, auctioning too much, and he's just like, uh, and au- they just like dies power, because, you know? yeah, he's like the prices were going up too fast. <laughs> <laughs> So these three deaths were a real um, blight on the on the anti-rent war movement. And, you know, the the leadership and the associations no longer wanted to associate with these Indian tribes. And they were losing public support because people were really outraged at, you know, the loss of three lives so far. And so then you have this massive repression after uh, New York State passes a law about wearing disguises in public. You can no longer wear disguises. Um, and essentially, at, like after this, you just you have no more Indians like they are. You have a couple of of spurts of Indian activity after that. But that's pretty much the death of the 
Indian element of the anti-run war. I wonder if that law is still on the books. I don't know. That you can't wear disguises. I bet that's still there. And or, or like, or maybe that maybe that was one of the ways that they cleared Zuccotti Park. <laughs> it was to like, get these anonymous masks off the, you know like you're yeah, going the, to jail the, like, just like the prohibition movement there's a mass movement to uh legalize disguises yeah like we want to wear masks we want masks <laughs> or maybe it was we ju- want to culturally appropriate the natives <laughs> i mean maybe they uh uh it was overturned because a bunch of like freaky rich people still want to have like their masquerade parties but they're also libs. So they're like, well, if it's against the law, I don't want to do it. So they change the law and then they have their weird, freaky, like sex masquerade. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think it probably just raises the, uh, you know, the, the heightens the contradictions as it were. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like the same reason that like the ruling class of today is like, you know, even though they have more money than God and can do whatever they want with their time whatsoever, like they must predate children. (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, it's like this this compulsion, you know, because yeah, it's yeah. the only thing that they that people say, like, all right, you can do anything you want except rape kids, and they're like, oh, I know what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1845, uh, <laughs> they the anti renters hold their first anti rent party state convention, where they uh, go and they um, nominate delegates and they go to the convention and they basically determine like who they're going to uh, endorse for an anti-rent ticket. Right. Mm. I thought you were going to say, who are they going to kill first? (laughs) (laughs) It's just just debate over who they're going to tar and feather. No more killing. That was, those were the only three deaths and uh, two of them were accidental. So, I mean. Accidental. Yeah, no, no, Alleg- no. Allegedly, allegedly accidental. Yeah. I allegedly accidentally shot you from across the field. <laughs> <laughs> and up to this point, the anti-renters had been a really important voting bloc. Like their their candidates, whoever they endorsed and put on their party ticket, they won in Rensselaer County and Albany County. Um, they didn't have quite the level of success in some of the other counties, but they they did have they did have quite a bit of um, ability to get people elected to the state legislature to advocate on their behalf. It's just none of the legislative, none of the laws they passed really worked. Mm. Um, was this during the time in American history when uh, the politicians would get everyone drunk? And it was like whoever could throw the bigger kegger, like, you know, people would Everybody for was getting drunk all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. But like, that was like of... a thing that was banned at a certain point in America that was like really popular. For obvious reasons. Yeah. I don't I'll, know. I'll have to look that up. It's um, unfortunate that they ban that, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't... Well, I immediately started thinking about, like, all the politicians that I would, like, have as an option to get totally plastered with, and that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... You don't, 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 don't want to get hammered with, with those people. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, just get absolutely schlunked with Patrick Madden. Yeah. With his weird-shaped head. T.J. Kennedy. Yeah, gross. I mean, I've gotten drunk with Rodney Wiltshire, and it was fun. Yeah, oh, yeah. Where at? Uh, just downtown. He used to be like quite the presence at bars in Troy. That's Maybe true. he still is. I don't know. I remember him from like way back as being like not not the same uh, candidate that we see running today. Yeah, something happened where like after he lost, uh, and then he like frosted his hair, like frosted the tips of his hair, and then like something terrible happened yeah. in that moment. He, he broke fash. So then in 1846, New York has its constitutional convention. And by now, the anti-renters, there had been some legislative wins. Um, I believe by this point, the distress sale was no longer allowed. And they had like chipped away little by little at the manorial system with the taxes and a couple of other things. But there were still, you still had like this massive number of tenants who were trapped in these contracts that they couldn't get out of. And so at the 1846 Constitutional Convention, they had, this was kind of like their moment. This was when um, actual change could have been made to the existing contracts um, to save the tenants from these conditions. And it didn't happen. And I have now read three different books trying to understand why they didn't just go the eminent domain option at, because they could have, by the time they get to the convention, eminent domain is really the only shot that they have save for the title test, right? There's no other way that they're getting out of these contracts unless they can just mass buy out the the landlords and distribute the land to the tenants. 
And I have tried to understand why they didn't go the eminent domain route at this uh, constitutional convention, but they didn't. And a lot of this was because the anti-renters kind of foolishly put their put their faith in these various factions of the Whigs and the Democrats and hoped that they would um, represent their interests and do right by them. But they didn't. And there's no it's not the case. that It's just still too expensive. Well, I mean, it could have been, but if they were ever going to get it done, the Constitutional Convention was the time to do it Uh because they could appropriate the funds for it. Now, at the convention, they did actually get um, several things added to the to the Bill of Rights section of the New York Constitution. Article 12, feudal tenures abolished. All feudal tenures of every description with all their incidents are declared to be abolished. Saving, saving, however, all right, all rents and services certain which at any time heretofore have been lawfully created or reserved. So Ah, in other words, no more after these. And a a couple of others, like their restraints on alienation. So remember I talked last time about the quarter sales. Whenever you sold your farm, you had to give a quarter of the sale of it to... The Van Rensselaers yeah. or to the Patroons, so you basically lost all the improvement that you'd made on the land. Yeah, yeah. They got rid of that. And that's called alienation. Alienation. Man, that's a good word for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's I feel a, quite alienated from the barn I put yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be pretty cool if you could outlaw, like, alienation in the sense that, like, you don't feel like any of your actions are connected to society. That'd be pretty cool <laughs> if you could just... <laughs> abolish that through <laughs> passing a law or like your life has meaning meaningless lives are now illegal i'm trying to understand what was accomplished at the convention so they they made well, illegal the idea of more patroonships basically what they did at the convention was they they took all of the shitty little bills that they had managed to pass over the last few years and they enshrined them into the constitution but they didn't actually do anything new like they basically just took what was already the law of the land and enshrined it into yeah, the made bill it of permanent rights. or at least very hard to change right yeah um could never be overturned in the courts or anything like that unless we didn't... had a new constitutional convention which we almost did and then that was voted down because it was mostly to break up unions oh well actually in and york... in the 1960s the new york state constitutional convention got rid of a bunch of shit from the anti-rent war good era. cool so, okay i don't know, I don't know why exactly <sighs> oh probably because it was good <laughs> controlled landlords um but they didn't they didn't go for eminent domain and part of it was because they were so obsessed with this title test they were so sure that this title test was going to work that they were going to find out that the van Rensselaers weren't really the bartholomew the, the second never uh, <laughs> never consummated that marriage <laughs> I, I was there. I, I was... <laughs> Sorry. No, the, the, the facts of that, though, are true, right? Where, like, you, mm. you have... Well, you have someone that might, like, be illiterate or at least, like, not... Definitely not a lawyer, right? Like, signing something and there... It's like, you know, like, clicking OK on a end-user license agreement for a piece of software, right? Like, there's no actual meeting of the minds, Oh, do you mean the contract's not being entered into in good faith? Yeah. Yes, that's true, but that's not what the title test is. Okay, the title test is The title test is to try to say that Stephen Van Rensselaer IV, their current patroon, is is not not the the legitimate holder of the the Ah, land. See, this is why you need Because there's all those different Killians. Because there's too many Killians back in the 1600s. This is why you got to buy title insurance, people. Right. (laughs) So, you know, and so basically it was a bunch of Whigs that lied to all of these Whig politicians that lied to these tenants and made them think that this title test thing was going to turn out. And it didn't. And so they basically like blew their shot at the Constitutional Convention. They didn't go after eminent domain. And then it was only like a year or two later that the New York State Supreme Court decided that eminent domain could not be used for public goods that would be privately used. So the public good had to be publicly used, in other words. Huh. And so with that, any hope of ever using eminent domain to get them out of their existing contracts was lost. Interesting. So, like, does that still qualify if you were to, like, put together land to be publicly farmed? You know, like, in the sense of, it, you know, everybody had, like, sort of, like, a big community garden. Could you still use eminent domain to do that kind of thing like what 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 what, i guess what i'm asking is what does public use uh you know define as well highways trains canals so like transportation infrastructure i mean i think that that's most of the uses of eminent domain i'm not aware of Mm. any other there are instances where um the state will 
buy or, or use eminent domain to hand it over to a private developer to make something like that does happen. Yeah, but it has to be for public use. Uh, yeah, the, I, I think public use is pretty widely interpreted. Yeah, or at well, least like, they, or at least you say that it is, and if no one sues you about it, then it. I remember it happens. Th- they were trying to use eminent domain to um, build a bunch of pipelines uh, a few uh, years ago. Like I think, like the Keystone XL. That was like one of the big fights was right, people... and it's like a privately owned piece of infrastructure, but it's for public use in that it's for the public wit- like good of the country for like GDP or something like that. I think that can be like a like a, like a, a, a an argument because like we, yeah. because if we, if you well, privatize infrastructure, then they they decided that you couldn't um, take land from a wealthy person and give it to a farmer. Yeah, that, that did not constitute public use Uh, which funny how that works yeah and so after that it's really kind of just a story of like everything kind of falls apart like there's a lot of partisan infighting um the anti-renders kind of finally get wise to the fact that these that like these partisans um do not have their best interests at heart they're not going to get very far through this sort of legislative system and there's just they they fall into a lot of like infighting, a lot of partisan bickering, and they suffer a lot of legislative defeats in 1847. Basically, every bill that their anti-rent reps put up get defeated. Is this because of uh, popular demand in the opposite direction, or just you know a lot of power from? I think people were just kind of tired of it by that point, mm. and they just felt like there were no there were no good ways forward. So. So what happens to all these people that are haven't been paying rent and are still, you know, on rent strike and like united and took blood oaths to like, you know, kill any man that came to try to take away their, you know, land. Uh, I'm forgetting all the flowery language, but yeah, I mean, there was still an anti-rent spirit in the area all the way up into like the 80s, I think into the 1880s, um, 1980s. Yeah, not the 1980s. <laughs> Um, but it was a shadow of its former self. So this whole thing just kind of fizzles. So what happens to all the people that are are just refusing to pay their rent? Um, so a lot of them, uh, got kicked off their land. Um, a lot of them ended up, so eventually Van Rensselaer is like so in fucking debt that he like, he has to do something with the manor. So he sells it off to this guy, Church, who buys it on the cheap and then he starts enforcing the debts like in a pretty draconian way. But he does offer them better terms. So a lot of the tenants buy buy out their their leases for significantly more than they wanted to, but for less than they were originally offered back way back in 1839 when uh, Stephen Van Rensselaer told them to go fuck themselves. So yeah, a lot of them bought bought out their leases. A lot of them uh, left, moved west. A lot of people moved west. That's pretty much it. And is there, like, what are the ramifications today? Like, does that still haunt this area in any way? Um, Well, actually, there are still parcels of land in Albany County uh, that owe a yearly rent fee to some far-flung assignee of the Van Rensselaer estate. Oh, really? And do they... Like, to are, this day. And are to they, this day. And are they refusing to pay it? Like, in the same... Is, <laughs> does the spirit of the anti-renter live on? I don't know. Times? I think they probably pay it. Uh, I feel like you'd have to. I don't I know. Mean, I couldn't find any... I couldn't find any specific instances of it. I just found a couple of books that mention it at the end that, like, oh, and by the way, there are still parcels of land that owe a annual rent fee. That'd be adorable. If I don't think they have to pay in wheat bushels, though. <laughs> or four fat fowl. Yeah, four fat fowl. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if anybody is listening to this that knows uh, if there's any rent striking going on from people who uh, own an ancient uh, rent, uh, you know, uh, obligation to, you know, the Van Rensselaers or any of the other landed uh, gentry of the uh, era, uh, please let us know. Yeah, I would love to hear that. Yeah, and, and let's uh, let's say that uh, it's not over, but it went into a very long slumber, and it's going to come up now again. Uh, so, like this Sunday, 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 uh, at the Troy Area United Ministries in South Troy, that's uh, 329 Second Street in Troy, at uh, Troy Area United Ministries, uh, we're holding a, uh, a Troy Tenant Town Hall, 
where you get to gripe about your your landlord from 2 to 4 p.m. And uh, we could, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll find some more culturally appropriate costuming. But, you know, <laughs> go, go out and, uh, and take it to the landlords once again. And, you know, the, the anti-renters, they did have quite a legacy. Even though they didn't manage to get out of all of their specific contracts, they, they changed the face of New York politics for decades to come. For one, they were basically the death of the New York Whigs uh, because once they lost all good faith with the anti-renters, the factionalism inside of the Whig party sort of tore them asunder. Mm. Um they also, the anti-renters went on to build coalitions with uh, the Free Soil Party, which was the abolitionist um, political party. And, you know, while, while the anti-renters' demands were always, like, watered down in legislation, they also rubbed off on a lot of, of those in office. And they sort of created a discourse where people were able to see government not only as just, like, this this set of rules that had to by which you had to play, but also as a like a manifestation of the will of the people and an agent for positive social social change. Yeah. And so that was a really, that was like not a, um, that was a minority idea of government at the time mm-hmm. that government could be like a machinery to actually affect a social agenda. But even though it spectacularly failed at doing that, <clears throat> just the idea that, you know, the government could be through politics, like organized for that purpose was like inspirational and kept going like long after yeah absolutely and they did they did succeed in ending the manorial system just not for themselves you know but they did manage to you know there there were after 1839 there were no more new contracts or after 1841 there were no new manorial contracts nobody else ever had to sign up to live on this in this feudal system again so you know they did accomplish a lot it's just for those like it I just was probably, you know, maybe 5,000 or so tenant farmers that just ended up having to buy themselves out of their contracts or, or stay in them in perpetuity. Well, you, you were talking about the idea of they wanted to make the demand of changing it from a rent to a mortgage. And the owner of the Van Rensselaer family was like, fuck that. And then they were trying, they had like four really quite basic demands. Like uh, when they first formed the anti-renting like movement that they were trying to like get the Rensselaer family to like um, uh, submit to. And eventually if, if the Van Rensselaer's, I guess, you know, besides the small plots uh, stopped, uh, you know, demanding rents and fouls and everything from them, like it had to transition back to like, you know, some type of broken up private ownership, right? Yeah. Well, so eventually what it became was um, they they just had to, they had to like pay a monetary equivalent of all of those bizarre manorial elements, like the four fat fowl become like, you know, I don't know, 70 cents or something. I don't, <sighs> I don't know exactly how all of the money works out, but... But yeah, just little by little, those things get chipped away until what you're left with is just you have to pay this person a yearly fee every year for the rest of your life and your children have to forever and never in perpetuity and you can never own the land. It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. I'm glad we don't live on a manor anymore, though. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Or we never had to. I, yeah. I, I like that. I mean, you know. That's progress. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, yeah. I'll I, take it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, capitalism in its current manifestation, you know, here in upstate New York, like what we understand is like the ruling economic system uh, definitely has a lot of things going for it uh, in comparison to previous systems like feudalism or chattel slavery. Well, you know, know. one thing that's kind of interesting about um, the way that these anti-renters were sort of tainted by their quote unquote betters, by these... um, by the lawyers they were hiring, by the politicians they were voting for, was that what started off as a very kind of Marxist, like, labor theory of value idea of freedom um, was slowly over time watered down to, like, well, freedom is just freedom of opportunity, and freedom is just, you know, the the right to um, work hard and, you know, raise a family. And you can kind of see that in there. The, the book that I relied on for a lot of today was... Uh, called Land and Freedom, Rural Society, Popular Protest, and Party Politics in Antebellum, New York. It's by Reeve Huston. Houston, maybe? 
Um, and it's really good. It's actually a very kind of uh, politically conscious treatment of the topic and talks about a ton of stuff that I didn't even get into here. That's that's really interesting. But yeah, um, the author the author talks about how they were sort of corralled into this more free enterprise capitalistic model of what freedom meant, basically because it was easier to legislate that kind of freedom um, at the end of the day. So yeah, that, uh, that's a uh, I think always something that. That, that's something that's that's always sum- summarized in that phrase, you know, like you can't use a master's tools to dismantle his house. Like uh, if you're working in this uh, enlightenment forged government, right, uh, where that where rights uh, are seen in one particular way, mostly as economic rights and uh, negative freedoms, right? Negative freedoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then like uh, um then that's no matter what you want and what your political goals are, it's going to eventually get transformed into the language of governance, which are, which may be completely incompatible with what you want, but that's what you're eventually going to get. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, I wonder though, if like knowing that that's going to happen, uh, makes you a better activist or political actor, you know, an organizer, knowing that 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 is the default right can you even get around that if you just know it's coming and i'm not sure if you if you could it might just mean like you you can't you just have to reject all revisionism and we're not revisionism but like stepwise uh um reformism like incremental incrementalism yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean at at the same time you can make the argument that like we somehow got away from the greatest successes of you know in some ways some ways not um the um the the feudalism and uh predation of that time in terms of um you know denying people the uh the capacity to own the means of production that their lives depend on or otherwise but um you know it it, it sort of worked just took a really long time and it'd be interesting to ask like if you could you know with a time machine go back and say like Hey, uh, don't try, uh, trust. What was the guy's name uh, again? I keep Seward. Seward. Yeah. Be like, don't trust Seward. He's not going to, even if you, he, he's an earnest guy. He's not going to be able to get any of this done. You guys were like way more effective and had way more traction when you guys were like, you know, threatening the officer trying to, uh, like, uh, you know, enforce the writs. And uh, as a unified body that was, you know, doing the, uh, the cliche uh, cut hand handshake, or whatever uh, to to make blood oaths like that was a badass time and you you didn't pay your rents yeah you know and like but you guys were all committed to that eventually something would have had to happen you know yeah, well, yeah. it's I, it's kind of like an impossible like what would you well it, I guess it would be the violence that was that they were threatening you know that they were just hold off and and just never ever pay and if they were to come to blows it would come to blows you know. Well, Seward's message was the the whole reason that his message was effective at easing the tensions is because he was about to send the the national the national guard in there. Like he yeah, was about to send yeah. two thousand troops up to break up these wars. And it's really only the start of the civil war that keeps um, them from doing that, right? Like there's like the whole country's falling apart, so yeah. like, they can't spare national guard soldiers right. for some some people in upstate New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine like, uh, hello peasants, I'm here from the future and I'm here to tell you about permanent revolution. <laughs> no compromises, no compromises. Okay, here's this thing, it's called Maoism, alright? You're gonna go into the forest and you're going to wage a permanent people's revolution on the the the, uh, the urban capitalists uh, until they, until you can eat them alive. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's sad because, like, I remember part one of this, I was so filled with hope that, like, it was going to get to some type of, I don't know, like, sexy revolutionary, uh, like, climax where they would all basically overthrow the official rule of, like, just the people that were gifted gigantic land parcels by some, like, rich asshole, like, 200 years ago and, you know, be like, no, like, it's more just that the people just own the land that they can actually use and, or, you know, just be able to work it without need of paying rent, et cetera. And like, 
it sucks that the government was seemingly just as it is now back then set up to like make you know any type of real uh land reform in that way like which is entirely appropriate by way of like use and need um you know it's technically impossible and like politically uh infeasible like that that's depressing <laughs> i'm starting to think this government is made for rich people <laughs> just uh you know an inkling I have. yeah I don't know. I mean, I think that there are a lot of goods to take away from it. One is that they really did accomplish a great deal Mm -hmm. um, for future generations, if not for themselves. And they did it all through solidarity. They did it all by like no one refusing to budge and, um, you know, putting putting themselves on the line for one another. And um, I don't know. There's something the camaraderie of it is very like appealing to me. And it does all kind of fall apart in the end. And they're not able to get out of their specific contracts, but they ended a feudal system, you know, like that's, that's not nothing, right? That's big. And it's also, that um, that is a big deal. It's also one of the few stories of rural activism. Like usually, you know, we get a lot of stuff that happens in cities and that's where a lot of social change happens. But hearing about, uh, how to do, uh, activism and organizing in uh uh rural places is rare and still rare like that's yeah. still e- even with the internet or whatever it's ha- it's still extremely hard to do yeah. and it's really uh incredible that they were able to get anything done uh being so physically separated yeah 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 I, the more i think about it the government definitely wouldn't have bluffed they would have just sent the national guard in there to kill everybody yeah they would like that yeah uh, well, I'm glad that didn't happen. Me too. Yeah, it's glad that there wasn't a uh, very uh, horrible slaughter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, ending feudalism... Slaughter, bad. Yeah, ending feudalism <laughs> is a uh, a big accomplishment. I shouldn't be short-selling the movement. But yeah, it would just have been really badass if they were able to just like permanently get out of being indebted and having to rent you know, the lands that they were working and, you know, well, what like, would have, yeah, for generations. What would have been so great and what drives me crazy about the story is that if they had just gone the eminent domain route at the, at the constitutional convention, they, it could, may have have worked. Just, they could have just bought out all of the, all of the manors. And yeah, it would have been expensive for New York, but whatever, New York was already like $7 million in debt at this point anyway. So what's another mill? Come on. Yeah. And then everybody would have just gotten the land free and clear. Like... Yeah. We didn't do it. <laughs> Fucking wigs. Yeah, but that was the way a lot of the, the, as the colonial expansion and theft of the land from the natives continued westward, how a lot of the land was divvied up, right? It was just like a sort of go and get it kind of immaculate acquisition <clears throat> by white men. Yeah, actually, the one of the wigs, um, in Seward's in particular, his his goal to fund all of his internal improvements was that through this, this federal sale of land, one of the Whig platforms was that they didn't want the creation of new states. They wanted the federal government to just sell land and then distribute that those proceeds among the existing states. Oh, yeah. And so oh. he wanted to use all of that money to um, fund all or, of his canals and shit. Yeah. Or, or he could use potentially that money to uh, fund the purchasing up of all of those lands through eminent domain. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That is the anti-rent wars part two. That's why we need to go to space. We can have an indefinite frontier. We can colonize it and exploit its resources and despoil its its grandeur. I want all of that tungsten. I want all of it. <laughs> have you guys heard, ever heard of Psych Sixteen? Is that a dance club or like a like a kind of ecstasy or something? No, even cooler. It's an asteroid that, uh, if you were to mark it, it's uh, proposed uh, golden uh, ore content uh, in today's uh, price for gold, which of course doesn't work. It would make everybody on Earth about as rich as Jeff Bezos. What the like, shit? Yeah, so there's apparently, and who knows you know, how much this is all with like radio telescopes or whatever, they're trying to figure out the metallurgy of this asteroid, but apparently it's like from um, a planet core and that it has like a bunch of like heavy elements that, uh, you know, originally like all the heavy elements um, came from supernovas. But uh, because of its density in the creation of early planets, like concentrated in the center or something like that. 
and uh, they want to make this like the first target for uh, space mining. Oh, uh, we fucking would. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like nothing useful, just gold. You know, just well, yeah, it, gonna... it, not just gold. It's got pal- uh, palladium, platinum, um, uh, a lot of iron, um, and just you know, just are we g- running general... out of iron? Well, the thing about it is the, the gravity uh, well. Right now, we are in this like incredibly deep gravity well on Earth. So, if you wanted to manufacture into space, what you'd functionally have to do, unless uh, you were space okay. mining, is put up everything you need. Right. Okay. And so, so, so you, they want to capture it so they can build stuff off world. Yeah. So that you don't have to then lo- expend all that energy launching it. Yeah. Out exactly. Of, yeah. Out, it, off of Earth. If you have okay. space foundries yeah. and space milling systems and 3D printers and whatever. Space you could, K jewelers. Yeah. You, you could hypothetically, you know, start doing a lot um, and not even having to deal with gravity. You could get a lot of like really low friction systems that are like very easy to deal with. Um, and, you know, we can make... It's interesting what you can do once you're liberated from having to deal with gravity and you can essentially expand in any direction as much as you want as long as like you're far enough away in orbit from anything else that's going to collide with you. Um, has, that, has anyone told Trump about uh, the solid gold asteroid? <laughs> <laughs> we must go to space. <laughs> like Maybe that's why they made Space Command or was it Space Force, whatever they they called it now. Maybe, that, maybe that's secretly why he made it was because he'd heard about the the gold asteroid. Like, we, need to, we need to get it. It must be mine. All right. So apparently asteroid ownership was made legal in 2015. It's about time. And I think the way that you own an asteroid is landing on it. And so really, that's it. Yeah. Two space mining companies backed by, uh, I, I, get, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, right? Like that's how like, it all works. Yeah. Yeah. I got here first. Yeah. What, what, what body decided, what governing body decided that that was how that works? Oh, fuck. If I know, I think that this is all like stuff that the UN has to deal with and mm. stuff, but I don't know. Well, I look forward to the year 3000 when we're having anti-rent war riots on a golden asteroid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be something? Right. You know, just like, I, you know, like, my grandpappy uh, landed on this asteroid and uh, mined its bismuth and its platinum. And uh, damn it, if I'm not going to, like, give it up to some Jeff Bezos the ninth. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah, it's gonna be a shitty future. Yeah, would it be dope <laughs> if we like, you know, we're like, all right, it's gonna be really hard to like socialize the entire, you know, global economy. Like, there's so many landlords and business owners you've got to fight. But how about we start all commerce and space communistic globally? <laughs> Yeah, so, well, I guess like the- all profits that are produced through space mining and manufacturing are equally distributed to all people. Yeah, I, I think there would probably be like a pretty solid Marxist argument that um, going to space would actually prolong capitalism because it would give it a new frontier, mm-hmm. literally a new frontier for accumulation. Yeah. Right. And so it, you actually don't want to go to space until you reach full communism, then go to space then that's dope. But if you go to space before you reach that, then you're uh, you're just going to make just more... all doomed to yeah. a capitalist capitalism forever. Yeah. It, it just seems like a really clean slate. Like, so little business is done uh, in, in space. I guess, well, except for all the uh, satellites and, uh, you know, like, yeah, business that's done through the utilization of all of those satellites. Yeah, yeah uh, this is... Uh, all, uh, it's pretty closely related. I just wanted to, to shout it out real fast because it's just so strange. Uh, Brittany and I went to college with uh, this guy, Tom McKay, works for Gizmodo now. And uh, he, he posted something earlier this week about how uh, uh, Tom DeLonge, the, the Blink-182 guy, uh, just uh, his, um, uh, his organization, To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, which really, like, come on, like, if, you're, if you write songs, like, you could make up a better name for an organization. Uh, to the stars to the stars yeah, to, academy to the stars academy of arts and sciences like just okay, to the stars rough. yeah done yeah uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh they, they just uh, uh made a cooperative research and development agreement with the u.s army uh combat capabilities development command uh and they're they're like researching these new metal alloys and uh, or, or something that that uh, the the uh, the Blink One Eighty Two guys says are extraterrestrial. Yeah, they call it like meta meta alloy or something yeah like that. yeah. Some it's wild. 
So, um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll throw that at the bottom of the show notes, but uh, it's just, uh, it's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm here for it. Uh, yeah. but I, I, I would really hope that the Posadists are right and that we would just like meet the aliens and we would recognize that like we all have to be in communism in order to like be on the same level as these aliens. And then we could all go into space and be communists. Right. <laughs> I, I think, I think that's, that's definitely the way to go. Also, we're, we're, did, also, also communicating with dolphins. Yeah. Are you talking about like interplanetary communism as well? Yeah. Like, you know, like it, it, not like screw the, screw the international we're talking the intergalactic. Yes. Yeah. The intergalactic federation of planets. I get to wear pajamas all the time <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> In a starship, uh, you know, just like uh, learning the violin or the trombone or something. Like, that's just like, it's all I want for the human race. And I really think that's, that's all we deserve. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, see you later, guys. Uh, yeah, you can find us yeah. on Twitter. Ironweeds Pod. You can find us on Instagram. Ironweeds Pod. You can send us an email at... Ironweedspod at gmail com and you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash ironweeds and uh throw us a couple bucks if you think this show is good yeah we we are we've already had like a bunch we actually bought chinese food with the amount of money that's been donated you are literally feeding us. <laughs> yeah so, yeah thank you i so i just it's like we a part of you is inside of us and we're turning it into our our bodies like we're like it's it's literal it's like a sacrament <laughs> <laughs> where y'all are jesus and we just ate of your of your flesh and yeah, of your blood. Lo- loaves and fishes yeah all right uh, thanks <laughs> thanks for that david you're welcome <laughs> bye 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 <laughs> <Peace>. <laughs>